Today is April the 12th, 2015. Uh, we're going to start off in Acts chapter 2. Before we get there, the title of today's sermon is, Is That All? Is That All? Um, so I've been thinking and praying and the Lord has been, um, there's been some things that have been heavy on my heart uh, from just what the Lord is doing and I see things around me. Um, one of the things that, that kind of spurred me on to this thought this week was this. So we had a, a great Resurrection Sunday last Sunday. Um, I know some of you were visiting family and doing a lot of different things. We had a lot of different things going on. But when we, anytime we get to celebrate the resurrection of our true Savior is an incredible day. Yes. Hearts were touched, lives were changed, uh, not only here but in, in many, many places, and we celebrate that. But as I was thinking this week, it was kind of like, well, is that it? It's... So we're done for the year, right? We're, we're done. We can just put it on cruise control for a while. We can sit back and relax because we had a great Resurrection Sunday. Well, obviously that's not, one, that's not how we're wired as a church. But that, two, that's not how we're supposed to be wired as believers. Not only our church, but this is not exactly, uh, that's not it. Is, is this all? Is this all there is? I think you find a lot of people in Christianity today, the reason that we are searching after a lot of weirdness in the body of Christ it's because they've said some quick little prayer, some quick, they've raised their hands and batted an eye at somebody up on a stage who's led them in a prayer and they go, well, I guess that's it. We just, we just mail in the rest of our lives, <laughs> we mail in the rest of Christianity because that's it. Uh, that's not what we're about here at LCMF. We're about finding out all that God has for us. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. This is kind of where we ended last week. And we're going to start where we ended last week. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. You there with me? You there in your Bible? You there in your heart? It says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Goodness gracious, the weightiness of that statement talking to the people who just a few days before had literally crucified Jesus. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah and He is the ruler of all. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Everybody say, cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. If you can read, your, uh, read the Bible, if you can read the Word and not be cut to the heart very often, I challenge you to check where your heart is. If you can just constantly read through and things not come alive to you, I'm going to challenge you to take a look again at your own heart and evaluate where you are. I am often cut to the heart when I read. I am often, I see things, and the first thing that I want to do is, Lord, this is your word. Would you show me? Would you illuminate it to me? God, then would you show me where I am in comparison to your word? I don't sit here and we, we shouldn't try to find things in the Bible only to make us happy. I have a great... Uh, Wonderful resource that somebody gave me the other day. Nice, thick book. A part of the, my job, they gave us this nice, thick book about how to counsel through the Bible. And it's great. You find out anger, and you look up, and they have a bunch of scriptures. And actually, it's, it's actually a pretty good resource. I, I'm not knocking the resource. But far too often in our lives, we go, well, I'm angry. Let me go to the Word and find one or two things that let me find a scripture that talks on anger. And that's, that's a good start. But what I'm saying is, I want to delve so deep into this that my anger problems go away because I'm getting close to Him. 
I don't need a genie in a bottle. Oh, I've got a problem. <laughs> Give me something. What we're trying to do is get so involved in our hearts and our lives so deep in this thing that by the, His very presence, He transforms us. Amen. That by His very Word, we start undoing our weaknesses without even knowing it. We start growing in areas that we didn't even know we were weak. You guys ever had those areas in your life? The things that you thought you were pretty good at? And then you realize somehow some revelation comes to you in a moment and you're like, wow, I was a big fish in a small pond, right? I remember in high school, uh, my nerdly self had kicked in and I graduated top of my class in high school and had a little strut in my step and going to college and like, yeah, what up? How you doing? I got to college and I realized I had been a big fish in a small pond. I was like, wow, there are people here who are national merit finalists and Rhodes Scholars. And I went, huh, they're on a whole different level than me. And that was a great thing for me. And then there's been many times in my life where I kind of go somewhere and unbeknownst to myself, I, I think more highly of myself than I ought to. I don't realize it, but then I finally find a standard that's, that's much better, that's much bigger, and I go, wow, I didn't even know that I had that problem. I'm sure that everyone else around me knew. I'm sure, but I was the one that was clueless until I found a righteous standard around me that, that caused me to want to come up to it. Turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 6 is where we're going to start. Say there when you're there. Some of y'all say it in faith sometimes. You're, I can't even hardly say it. And you're like, I'm there. Whoa. Man, I believe you. I'm just saying. Sometimes it's quick. Just saying. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving, with overflowing with thankfulness. If you just take a look at that one scripture right there. <laughs> This gives you a lot to work on. If we've had a resurrection Sunday, then this is kind of the next step. So if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Not built up in you. Not built up in what you can think. Part of the burden that's been on my heart lately is when I realize how much the church is trying to push everything else but the actual Word of God on us. How much churches, the churchianity that's around us, fails to go, we need to be rooted and built up in Him. What we see is, well, we're going to be rooted and built up in Him and. And we need something else. So we need a little psychology thrown in there. We need a little sociology thrown in there because, of course, I mean, who doesn't need sociology? And, and we, need a little, we need a little marketing. You know what your church needs? It needs marketing. We have a marketing budget and a whole division in your church designed for marketing. That's what you need. Um. We can look at the Scripture and decide whether it's inspired or not. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. Right? Where we look at the Word of God and it's what? It's alive. It's, why don't we just turn there? Keep your place in Colossians. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 
Verse 15 and 16. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> well, guess he wasn't specifically talking to me. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we read too quickly, don't we? That's why sometimes I'll stop and I'll reread a passage of Scripture. It's not as much for you as it is for me. I'll slow it down. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Not wise in your own eyes, not wise by the world's standards, but wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But you know what I found? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. The Spirit of God breathed on men, and they wrote down what He told them to write down. I actually find that more people than often, the ones that I've been talking to, don't really have a huge problem with the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, it's a, man, it's a great book. Wow, it's a, it's a holy book. It should, should be revered. But the problem that we get into is the next part of it. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, well, we don't like that one, correcting, uh-oh, same category, right? And training in righteousness. What people around me don't like to do is look at the Scripture as being completely sufficient in and of itself. Okay, so there's an inspired, wow, God originated this thing. That's great. But then there's a sufficiency that says, this is all that I need. I need His presence in my life. I need His Word. And it will train me. It will correct me. It will rebuke me. It will teach me. It will do these things, all the things that I need. I don't need to look to another ology, psychology, sociology, which most of those, you realize, um, they were made in opposition to the Scripture. The very Spirit that they were created in was something that was trying to set themselves against the knowledge of God. So now in our churches, it's very common to have we're going to have a workshop. And it's basically teaching not biblical principles. They'll sprinkle a few scriptures in because, of course, the scripture is inspired. But what we're trying to do is find anything else other than the scriptures to find our sufficiency in. I hope this makes sense because this is, this is something that is um, impacting me. It's affecting me. And it's one of those things that it's at a point in my life and I, I feel very inadequate to communicate it to you. I, I feel very... Um, ineffective in trying to communicate to you the heart and the weightiness that I'm feeling in my own spirit. The, the weightiness that I'm feeling for my own children and for your children. For you in this room. This is When I'm thinking about these topics, I'm not thinking about only the body of Christ as a whole. I'm thinking and I'm seeing faces in this room. And I'm seeing you. And when I'm praying for you, I'm going, Lord, yes, we, we love and we understand that the Scripture is inspired. May it be sufficient in each of our lives. May we not veer from one letter May we not veer from one dot, not one of us, God. I don't want to lose anybody. I don't want to lose anybody in here. If you're here, we feel like it's because God has sent you here. And those of us in leadership will pray and cry and bleed and sweat for you. Not because we have anything of value of our own, but we understand that there is a standard that we're going to be held to as it relates to us communicating to you. I have to answer I have to answer to a very righteous God who sees all and knows all. 
when we're looking at this scripture, I want you to understand that it is inspired, but I want you to also put into practice the fact that it is sufficient in your life. If you need an answer, you can go here. And we've said that for so many years. I mean, you can, my parents, 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 I'm sure heard sermons that were similar to that. The Bible's got all the answers you need, but how do we live? Where do you go to correct your thoughts? Where do you go to see if you even need to correct your thoughts? Do we presume that we're right most of the time? And so we'll just sprinkle a little Jesus in our life. We'll just add him. I'm from Louisiana. We add Tony's shasheries to everything. And the whole church said, if you, if you hadn't added, we'll, we'll, we'll indoctrinate you into that as well. We, we add it. We don't add Jesus to our lives, though. We, we don't sprinkle a little scripture in so that we feel better about what's going on. We are rooted and we build ourselves up in this most holy faith by delving into where God is. Amen. By, by counting this as a precious, precious thing. This is a 20-year-old Bible. I've been thinking about it. I need to get one that's better so I can... I have little tiny margins here. I can't write anything in it. I'm like, I need to get another one. But I, I'm having a hard time of thinking about not having this one in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went and visited some, some of our India team. They were uh, at Inks Lake just kind of getting away. And I went and visited, and we just randomly were talking. And it was kind of like, hey, where is that scripture? I was like, oh, it's whatever it was. And I was off by, like, there was the chapter before. And I went, oh, that's right, because it's on this page. And it was right above, like, in my mind, I can see where it is on the page. I'm going, oh, yeah, you're right. I was thinking six, because that was the big number on the page. It was right before that. Oh, well. I mean, I, there's something about this that I treasure. Amen. There's something about this that is incredible. I, I heard of a story uh, of a man who collected Bibles, loves the, the antiquity of, of certain things. And there was one particular Bible that he had that was literally the tops of the pages were stained with blood. Wow. The men who had literally given their lives, these martyrs that were there, and their murderers decided that to show, to be a reminder, they wanted them to keep the Bible so that everyone would associate, this is going to cost you your life. It makes me want to weep, and it makes me want to say that my, my Bible should be stained with blood. Amen. Not in some self-harmful way. It, it, it costs people. It costs many lives and many, many Many, many amounts of blood have been spilled to get this to me. Yes. How can I not count it as one of my most precious things that I possess? Yes. How can I not count it and, and voraciously get into this word? Guys, i got to be honest. I can't always say that my, if I was going to describe my own Bible study, I can't always say that it's been voracious. I have to be honest with you. But I'm telling you that God is dealing with my heart and saying, are you going to count this precious or not? Not because someone else has got into it and shared something with me. Thank God that we're in a church like that. Thank God that anywhere you turn, anybody I go to, I can find, hey, what's a good scripture you've been reading, Baj? And he can open up the word and I would learn something. Hey, Brent, what you been learning? And I know that Brent would have a word. This is great. <laughs> I can't let Brent study and me not. I can't let Baj have a word and me not. Not because I'm in competition, because... This is so precious. How can I not? I have an obligation to give my life for it. Amen. 
I have an obligation to build my life upon it. I have an obligation to do exactly what it says and nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. I can't help but do exactly what it's saying. And when I find and I read something and I see that I am not right, I don't ask and look for another Scripture. I just say, Lord, please help me to close that gap between what Your Word says and where I am. I have no other choice. If you think about it, I've, I've heard of men and women who've tried to cross you know, the, the English Channel. And I, I've heard of, which blows my mind, I'm not a very good swimmer at all. I just like sink like a rock, you know. <laughs> doggy paddle, you can only doggy paddle so far. But if you think about it, at some point, once you get to the halfway point, it's really easier for you to just keep going. Right? It's just as far to go back as it is to keep going forward. I've kind of reached that point, I feel like, in my life with Christianity. Look, at this point, I may die trying. I'm not going back. I've come too far. It's probably closer for me to just keep on going. <laughs> Even in my weakest moment, I, really, there's no, there's no other option in my thinking. There is no turning back. I don't have a reverse in my spiritual car. I don't have a rearview mirror. I'm just going to go forward in Him. And it's going to be, it has to be built on the Word. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I would apologize for the fact that I tear up so much, except for the fact that it is not anything that I contrive or do to be manipulative in any way. It is my heart before a living God. Amen. I'm not embarrassed by it. I used to be. I used to, it used to bother me, and so I would say self-deprecating things. And the truth is, um, I, need, I probably need to be that way more. I probably need to allow God to, to break me in front of everyone more, not less. So, um, these things are deep in my heart. These things are deep in my heart, not only for me and for my family, but for you as well. I hope you understand if God is calling me, what I presume is, is that He's also calling you to do the same thing. What I'm presuming is, is that when I share, when anyone shares up here and has an honor to serve by washing your feet through the water of the Word here, I'm going to presume that if God is doing something in Alex, that it is motivation for me to do the same. If God is teaching him something, then I want to be a good student and I want to learn the same lesson because that's what, part of what the body is here for. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need. Everybody say everything. everything. So that either His Word is sufficient or it is not. Either His Word is inspired and sufficient or it's not. Either the Scripture says His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So either His Word is true or it's not. If I can't be godly, it's not His problem. It's not His fault. His divine power has given us, not just me, but He has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us. How did He call us? By His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. If you have forgotten how precious His promises are, if a Bible is another book that you throw around in the back of your car, I'm going to challenge you. 
not for the sacredness of the pages, but for the sacredness of the document that was given to us by blood. I'm going to encourage you to step it up. I'm going to encourage you to reconsider the own position in your heart. If you are not voracious with your own Bible study, like me, shame on us. If you can go through periods of time and you don't crave the Word of God, shame on us. We should do better, and we all know it. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You can't participate in the divine nature unless you have the very great and precious promises. You can't do this on your own. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wow. I love it when in a single verse or two you can really encapsulate and give you enough that you can live by. Well, the Word of God, it's so difficult. Well, it's probably because it's veiled in your heart. Because Christ hasn't become real to you. When Christ becomes real, His Word becomes alive. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So that you can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort. You want to know another practical thing? Here you go. To add to your faith, goodness. So it's not just faith, huh? There's some works. Yep. Very next word, goodness. Into goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. I cannot stand the words ineffective and unproductive when they relate to my life. It, is, it took me years, years, to be able to relax on a vacation. And I still am not particularly grand at it. My wife is like, let's go to vacation. I'm like, well, here's, here's my thought. Besides, I'm a cheapskate and didn't want to spend money. Second thought was, do you know how much work I have to do beforehand to get ready? And then how much work I'm going to have to do when I get back because of what I didn't and couldn't on the front end. So my brain is, I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive. Now, there's some wisdom and learning how to rest and allowing God to wash over you. Yeah, I'm still not very good at those things. We will have to, you will have to look to my wife as an example on some of those things because her husband is not very good at it. But these, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, everybody say increasing measure. The idea isn't that just you can check these off a list. You've got to have increasing measure and it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. If you don't have these attributes going on in your life, you are nearsighted and blind and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. There are entire denominations and lines of people that think that once you say the prayer, once you bat the eye at the guy on the stage, repeat a prayer, then you're done. You've got it. That's it. Check it off. For if you do these things, you will never fall. There's a doing that has to come that proves that our believing is genuine. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Psalms chapter 19. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes. Psalms chapter 19. 
So what am I saying? <laughs> I'm saying that we have to fight. We have to contend for the faith. In Jude, Jude is just one chapter. So in verse 3 it says that we're going to have to contend for the faith. There's a battle that has to go on in our own hearts and to convince those around us to allow for God to reach them as well. We have to do certain things. We have to understand the importance of God's Word. We have to be living epistles. We have to show people that what we believe is actually inspired from heaven. In Psalms 19 and starting in verse 7, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. If you're not careful, you skip over that little verse right there. Most of us are probably familiar with Psalms 19. Right? You start reading those and it, it should bring joy. It should lift you up. As you're reading this, I'm just going... It's like a breath of fresh air. It's like a, a cool drink on a, on a hot, hot day. You're just like, oh, wow. The law of the Lord is perfect. But then you get to verse 11. It says, by them is your servant warned. By them, by the law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, ordinances. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What kind of words please the Lord? Don't you think that His words please the Lord? Don't you think that, um, that He gave us a good example in understanding what our words are? But let's take a look. Let's go back to verse 7. I'm going to take just a minute and teach through this. Verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word there is Torah. Surprise, surprise. So, um, this is from the director of music, a psalm of David. This psalm is written by David. Um, so, David, for those of us who've already gone through and kind of have a good working timeline in our mind, that Pastor Eric has presented to us in about 1,000 B.C. is when David was, yes? Okay, that should be very, very familiar to us about the timing. So David is in 1,000 B.C. and he's saying the law of the Lord is perfect. We hadn't even gotten to Isaiah, Jeremiah, most of the major and minor prophets we haven't even gotten to yet. He's writing the Psalms. Proverbs will come later. So what we have is, right? So we're thinking about the Torah. We're thinking about that. And while he's saying this, he's saying the law of the Lord is perfect. This word, this Torah, I, I came across um, a saying from a Jewish scholar that said, the Torah is not education, 
It's transformation. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Don't we feel like that's a New Testament thing? Let me you know, beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to let the water, the washing of the water through the word in Ephesians 5, we want to let all those things happen to us. But really in Psalms 19, in 1000 B.C., he's saying the law of the Lord is perfect. The Torah is perfect. It is complete. It is full. Well, he couldn't have meant that he was going to be the last one to add anything to the canon. He was saying that this thing, is a, it's a beautiful and perfect thing. It is perfect, reviving the soul. One of the words when you look at revive, it could be restore, it can be convert, or it can be to transform. Revive, restore, convert, or transform. That's what the Word of the Lord does to us. It transforms us. It makes us come alive. The thing that we were, we were, we are no longer. We are transformed into something else. 2 Corinthians 5. We are new creations. We're something new. There's a new DNA that gets infused in us and it changes who we are. Psalms chapter 40. Keep your place there in Psalms 19. Just turn a few pages to the right to Psalms chapter 40. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. And gave me a firm place to stand. Have you ever seen some people live their life as if they were constantly walking through mire and mud? They were always unsteady, having to reach out and grab onto whatever's around. They live their life that way. The Word of God, He, put a, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Amen. You can become immovable. You can become when you base your life on the rock, there is something that is incredible. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Well, that's easy to read, isn't it? Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. If I told you how much money I've made this last year, you would laugh at me. Or maybe have great pity. That's why I'm not going to tell you the number. You would, you would feel that I am asking you to do something for me that I am not asking for you to do. It's laughable. It is absolutely laughable. And uh, this has been one of the best years of our lives. We've gotten to go multiple times to Mexico and Romania on a mission trip. We've done everything that we've ever needed to do. We have not lacked, not one day. I'm just about starting to figure out in my life how to put my trust completely in Him. I could have said that before, but then there's a great deal of anxiety. I can encourage you, there's no anxiety. Because it's not even a sacrifice. It is my joy, it is my gift to Him. If I could make less, I would. I'm I'm not worried about it. I can't make much less. <laughs> it's actually kind of difficult at this point. And I say that with joy. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Who do we look to? I know who we're supposed to look to. I know what the answer is supposed to be. But who do you look to? Who do you look to in your financial matters in your life? Do you look to the proud? Do you look to those who are trying to raise up false gods? Who do you look to for your, for, for your children's sake? Do you look to the proud? Do you look to those, someone else? Do you, where, where are we looking? Where do we have our eyes affixed? Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. Goodness gracious, we should all be able to have a list that is a mile long. Many, O oh Lord, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. In Exodus 21, we're not going to turn there, but it talks about how if you were a a slave, if you were in slavery, and you were about to be released, you could decide, no, I want to stay here with this family. I'm actually falling in love with this family, and I I volunteer (laughs) in tribute. I volunteer to come up before this, and I'm going to stay here. So this is how they would do it. They'd back you up to a door, and they would take and pierce your ear with an awl so that you were forever marked as one that said, I chose to stay here and serve this family because it's my joy. It's no longer my obligation. It is now my joy, and I choose it for the rest of my life. I don't want to get out of this. So when he's looking here and saying, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but my ears you have pierced. <laughs> I've been marked as one that says, I'm just going to serve, I'm going to serve this family for the rest of my life. There is no going back. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, and it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Wow. Your law is within my heart. Isn't that great? The law is no longer written on stone tablets, but God has desired to write His law upon our hearts. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. Wow. I thought Christianity was supposed to be a personal matter. Yeah. Don't look to the wrong people. Don't look to the proud to figure out how you're supposed to do this thing. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Turn back to Psalms 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. If you have a soul that needs reviving, then you need to look to the law of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. (laughs) Making wise the simple. I want to be a person who was once simple, but has been made wise. Just the simplicity of what some people come with. Uh, in Psalms, hold your place there in 19 and turn to, just over a few pages to Psalms 25. Psalm 25. Verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Come on now. No one. I felt like I'd be put to shame at times. Lord, we're going to move from Austin and this thing could fail. I don't know what you're going to do. I might fail. 
no one who puts their hope in him will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuses. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. That was a saying my dad used to have. It was, I can't remember it right now exactly, but it was kind of like, oh, we'll do this all day long. That means you just kind of, in an unending fashion. If you do that again, I will wear you out all day long. <laughs> That's usually the way I heard it. That's what I was trying to... It was not in such a glorious terms as the scripture here. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me. For you are my God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth. Those very simple times. And my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. According to your love, remember me. Um. If you've ever had a bad separation from someone, it can taint the way that you remember them. If you have a bad exodus somewhere, you can, it can taint an entire decade of your life. It can taint 30 years of your life at the end of this thing. It's kind of neat that he says here, according to your love, remember me. For, your, for you are good, O Lord. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right. And teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of His covenant. You've got to catch all these little qualifying statements in the Scripture, don't you? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Many friends I have right now in the Christian world, in the church world, I'll say church world, because the body of Christ is not some of these other things. The true body of Christ does it exactly the way the Scripture says it. So in the churchianity world, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And they'll st- they would stop that sentence right there. Oh, he's loving and faithful. Yes, he is. For those who keep the demands of his covenant. We cannot be a church and we're not a church that only wants part of this gospel. <laughs> we want the both end of what's going on. Amen. He is loving and faithful. Of course he is. I'm not going to dispute that. And... He is righteous and holy and has set a standard that He will let no one out of. That's why He gives us apostles. That's why He gives us the body of Christ. That's why He gives us the fivefold ministries to say, this is the standard. You come and join my standard. Back to Psalms 19. Are you all with me here? Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're right. <laughs> uh, we were talking, I was talking maybe with some of the guys um, at Inks Lake, and we were, you realize later on the, the Bible would have instructions in the Old Testament of how they were supposed to do something and what they were supposed to mix together, the hyssop branch and different things. And then now, thousands of years later, they realize that that, these, uh, that, that exact mixing of things produced an antibiotic that, that we can barely get to today. It produced healing things that would, that would keep sicknesses from setting in long before we even knew about germs or whatever it may be. It's almost as if the precepts of the Lord are right. It, it's, it's almost as if this is really all that we need to have. Giving joy to the heart. 
Turn to Jeremiah. Keep your place there. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15. <laughs> um, turn, and let's, let's look at verse 16. 15, 16. I love, I love the way it says this. When your words came, I ate them. <laughs> they were my joy and my heart's delight. We know enough to know that, that even as children, sometimes the children would be in the Jewish culture would be given a scroll to eat dipped in honey. You know what they were supposed to know? The Word of God you're supposed to get in you, and it's always sweet. Just part of the culture. I love that. <laughs> so when he says this, when your words came, I ate them. I ate them up. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Come on, I hope that that's the way you feel when you get in the Word of God. It's my joy. Oh, it brings life. It brings clarity. It brings joy. It brings the joy of the Lord. What does the Word say? The joy of the Lord is our... Maybe if you've been lacking in strength, it's perhaps that you've not found His true joy. I don't think there's burnout in the kingdom. There's burnout when you do it the way you want to and try to blame it on the kingdom. I don't think that there actually can be, when you are following God's word, I think that his joy will give you the strength that you need. Yes. Amen. When I run out of strength, I realize that I'm not walking in his joy. Perhaps I've assigned myself certain things that he has not assigned me. And that's what causes me to feel wearied beyond belief. Back to Psalms 19. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. And I don't, this is a serious-minded church and got a, lot of, got a lot of joyful people around this place. I like it. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Everybody say radiant. radiant. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They give light to the eyes. Oh, there's something about the light and the life that God gives. His commands are full of light and full of life. Turn to, um, oh, I've got so many. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and let's start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Even that right there would not, have, would not relate to so many teachings that go on nowadays. He prunes in me. He, he cuts off the, every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There's going to be a cutting away. Whether it's to cut the branch off because it's completely unproductive, or to prune it, either way, there's got to be things taking away from our lives. There's got to be a circumcision of the heart that takes place, not of the flesh, but of the heart that removes the fleshly desires from us. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Duh. Right? No, no branch. Just have a branch over there. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Back to Psalms. 
Let's review. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. What was it said of the disciples? (laughs) These were unschooled. These were unlearned men. Are you kidding me? These guys are the ones that that Jesus entrusted the kingdom to? These jokers? (laughs) These 3D people that David picked up? The disgruntled, the deaded, and the discouraged? These are the ones that God will use? Yeah, about every time. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. It doesn't just say smart. It says making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Obviously, we're talking about the Word. Let's just take a look at what it says. Your soul should be revived. You should be wise instead of simple. You should have joy in your heart. And your eyes should be full of light. Wow. How are you doing against that? Against that standard, rather. This is the standard for a believer. My soul should be revived. I should be wise and not simple. I should have joy in my heart. I should have light in my eyes. Wow. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 and starting in verse 26. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds. From all over the earth, right? From the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, Jesus was just giving a discourse on what the end was going to look like. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation certainly will not pass away until all these things have happened. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If he has set it here and instructed it to be so, it will be so. You can look in Isaiah 55 and it talks about just as as heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. In verse 10 or 11, it talks about how that his word will go forth and it will not return void, but it will accomplish what it's set out to do. How important is is it to get the word in us? What's the only thing that will endure? (laughs) This is is what's going to endure is what God has spoken. So in Psalms 19, when it says the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever, that's exactly what we're after. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. (laughs) They are sure and they are righteous. I know I'm belaboring the point maybe just a little bit. Because really you're looking at six different things here to kind of express what here in Psalms in 1000 B.C., David is saying, hey, you need to understand what this is all about. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Verse 11, I just want to do this very quickly. Who can discern his errors? I look at these next few verses as a, um, a template for progression in sin. 
Okay? This is, when I think of a progression of sin, this is kind of what I think about. This is what I think about. Who can discern his errors? Have you ever made an error? It's unintentional. Didn't even know it. You know, there's so many laws in our country that to keep one law, in some cases, you have to break another. <laughs> there are things that, that are still on the books from the 1800s. You're not allowed to hitch your horse to a post. You're like, this is, I have a car. What are you talking about? All right? There are all these things that are out there. There are errors that we can come across and just honestly not even know. There was no malice or forethought. There was just, I didn't do it the way maybe that God had prescribed. Who can discern his errors? First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, I think it's verse 4, says, um, My conscience is clean, but that doesn't make me right. I can have my conscience. I can be totally good with something. Hey, you good with that? Yeah, I'm good. doesn't mean that you're not in error. Because in 1 Corinthians, it also said right after that verse 4, like in verse 4 or 5, it says, for God is the judge. He's the one who's going to ultimately determine whether we're right or not, not how I feel about it. Our society is trying to tell you in every possible way that it's about your experience. Your experience trumps everything else. That's what our culture, that's what the enemy is trying to inundate the church with. Oh, I could see how the Bible says this, but I have a friend and I really like my friend. Well, your friend is in sin. So love them enough to tell them that they're in sin. I don't know. How could God do that? What people, when you hear that, you know that that person is either sliding or already slid along the line of, I'm going to make my experiences, what I see, what I feel, the prominent thing in the entire universe. And they will never say it that way, but that's what happens. When we can't look at the Word and go, I'm going to come this direction. When we go, that's kind of harsh. That's, ooh, that's, that's a hard saying. How, how can anyone follow this? Then what we're trying to do is make our level and our decisions the most important thing. The Bible says here, who can discern his errors? Hold your place there. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. You're going to sleep on me? Yes, sir. Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says, verse 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Wow. Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see, when, uh, he will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Ooh. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Is that you or not? Are you like that tree that's planted by the water? When the things get tough around you, do you keep bearing fruit? Do you keep just, <laughs> sorry, another dadism. Do you keep on keeping on? Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Isn't that interesting? We're just rattling right along and have no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart 
is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. (laughs) Who can understand it? Verse 10. Here's what I was trying to get to. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Isn't it neat? God, he's saying, I'm the one that judges because I want to reward you. In this context, the Lord searches the heart and examines the mind to reward a man. I want the Lord to be able to reward me. I want my actions in life to prove out that He is above all in my life. Psalms 19.12, Who can discern His errors? I think the progression goes because the next thing says, Forgive my hidden faults. What do you have to do for something to be hidden? You have to know that it's there and you have to go hide it. I think, and I would argue that we're no longer in an error capacity where it was, it was a mistake. Okay, I'll go ahead and fix that. Forgive my hidden faults. Now I know I'm wrong and I just... I want to push you back and I want to keep that thing. I'm actually going to begin to hold on to my sin. I'm going to actually grasp my sin and hold it close so you can't see it. The thing which I should release immediately, I am now clutching on to. So what does that do? If it's discern his errors, forgive my hidden faults because if I keep hiding my fault, Keep your servant also from willful sins. Now I'm not even hiding it. Now I'm doing something and I'm just, I've become okay with it. My conscience has become seared within myself. I'm fine with it now. Look, I know that this isn't right, but fill in the blank with whatever people try to, they've gone past the error, they've gone past the hidden sin, the hidden faults, now they're into willful sins. Well, what happens if you keep going down that path? May they not rule over me. I call those bondage sins. You used to be in control of it because you liked it, you thought you were in control, and now you're bound to it. It has taken you to the woodshed. You couldn't stop if you wanted to. Huh. Unless the power of God comes in, you won't be able to. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Isn't that an interesting passage? You go from an error, just a mistake that we make. Lord, catch us there. Would would you catch us there at that level? Would you reveal yourself to me when I'm making an error so that I can see it in light of God's Word and I can correct? Rather, your spirit in me will correct it. (laughs) Forgive my hidden faults. Lord, would you expose us? so that we have no room for hidden faults in our life? Well, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? What if our conversations daily were recorded and played for everyone? What if our online profile was put up on a screen? What if your history, what if your cell phone, what if your text, what if your very thoughts could be displayed? Yikes. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus didn't just die for sin. He defeated it once for all. There's a saying, it's a Moravian saying, and we've, we've, I heard it just, I have never heard it till being around this church probably a couple of months ago. I'm sure I heard it before that, but it started just impacting my spirit just recently within the last couple of months. And the saying is this, 
shall not the lamb receive the just reward for his suffering. I heard somebody say it the other day and it just messed me up. It's like, oh! Shall not the lamb receive the just reward for his suffering? So I went and tried to find out what that was about. It was a saying that was attributed to two men in particular, Johann Dober and David Nitschmann. 1732. The story goes that these men were trying to reach uh, in the, into the Caribbean. St. Thomas, St. Croix, places that if you've ever been on a cruise you may be familiar with. You may have been there before. These men were trying to get there because they knew of slaves who did not have the gospel. God moved on their heart. They wanted to set out, but they couldn't get permission. They couldn't figure out how to do it. So the short version of the story is they decided to sell themselves into slavery so they could go minister to the slaves. And this saying, shall not the lamb receive the just reward for his suffering, was supposedly the last thing that they said as their family and their friends and their church body was watching them and weeping over them on the dock as they were leaving out of port shall not the Lamb receive the just reward for His suffering. So I entitled today, Is That All? Last week, I wanted to challenge everybody to understand what are you going to do personally with the story of the Gospel? What are you going to personally do with the fact that Jesus died on the cross? My challenge to you today is, shall not the Lamb receive the just reward for His suffering? Can we go about and do this any way we want? And, and please understand what I'm saying uh, or what I'm, what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. I feel like this church, more than most I've ever been a part of or been around, is wanting to do things the correct way. But let me encourage you. What I can't shake is the fact that this is what I feel like I was supposed to present to you today. Amen. It was more teaching than preaching for part of it, yes. And... I believe that this is a word for us. If you leave it for the them, if you leave it for someone else next to you, then you miss the opportunity that God is trying to speak to your heart. Last scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You can just turn, if everybody will turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Say there when you are there. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What, what, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about, Wade? I'm saying that there is a standard here that we all have to come up to. The Bible says to examine ourselves to see whether I'm in the faith or not. Um, and this is a, the word is called an iterative process. It's an iterative process. You, you do it, and then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. You keep just going back and forth. Back and forth. I live, and I examine my life to see if I'm in the faith. And then I do something else, then I examine my life to see if I'm in the faith. And then I keep going back to the mirror of God's word. 
to the light of His Word that is supposed to produce life in me. And if I can look and I'm not wise instead of simple, if I'm not having my soul revived, if I'm not these things, I can look in almost any chapter, in almost any book in the Bible, on any day and go, this is the standard. Am I this? <laughs> if it's the bad example, I go, am I more like this than I want to admit? If it's the story of the rich young ruler and I think I'm something else other than the rich young ruler, maybe I've missed it. Well, I'm not rich. Well, yeah. No, that's supposed to be about me. What, what can I learn from the Word? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. <laughs> the picture there is of Paul saying, uh, look, we've, we've set a standard here. We've set a standard and then we all have to come up to it. The way I want to end this today before I hand it over to Eric in just a second, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Do you have a, a passionate love for God's presence, for His Word? I feel almost silly asking you this because I know that we as a church are, but I'm not asking if we as a church are these things. My goal is not to evaluate us collectively in this moment. Because perhaps I can ride on someone else's godliness if I evaluate us from a collective perspective. Where are you examining your heart? Where are you in line with what God is calling you to be? Where are you in what God is calling you to do? There is no other question. That's it. This is the standard. If we will allow God's Word and His Spirit to shine a light on us, then we will see. Let me, let me rephrase it. Ask God to show you where you're not lining up with the Scripture. Ask God to show you um, the proud and the foolish men that maybe we've turned to to get advice, to get our perspective on how this, this thing is supposed to be done. I can assure you, this is what my prayer is going to be right now. Lord, would you test me? Would you see if there be any unclean way in me? Would you love me enough that you'll chastise me? What kind of foolish person asks to be chastised, right? I'd rather be chastised and in His will than feel good about myself and fail the test. If you will, go ahead and stand on your feet.